Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. This is a weekly history podcast where we deep dive into all of the bizarre stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. So are you ready for this week's presidential quiz? Absolutely. I'm always thrown off by the answer. It's never what I think it is. <laughs> so this will kind of give you like a, this question will give you kind of a time period. So it should narrow at least down a little bit, maybe. Uh-huh. Which... Most likely not, because I'm terrible terrible with uh, chronological times. Well, there's stuff that I don't know either. Like, I would have had no guess what what was the last week that a president would be chased by a rabid rabbit while he was fishing. Like, (laughs) who who knows? That could have been any of them, really. So this week's question is... Which U.S. president was almost a member of the Donner Party? Ooh. The Donner Party that became cannibals and ate each other? Yeah. Yeah. So, the answer to the question will be at the end of this episode. Or maybe in the middle. So, stay tuned. Maybe in the middle. (laughs) Don't fast forward to the end. Hey, so real fast before we get rolling today, I just sure. wanted to to talk to everybody and say, if you haven't checked out AmericaTheBazaar.com, uh, I myself am, am chronologically challenged, and Jordan came up with this really cool timeline that uh, just kind of sorts the episodes based on time, period of time. So it's pretty neat. Check it out. Uh yeah, it's kind of cool to AmericaTheBazaar.com. S- it's kind of cool to see how all these very different people, how their lives kind of coincide with each other. Well, and like it got got me thinking, like the Carrier Nation one. You know, it's just right right before the period of Prohibition, right? And so it just kind of makes you think, like, what kind of influence did these obscure people who who aren't as well known to history might might have influenced? Yeah. You know, or been a representation of, of society at the time. Because everybody's like, Prohibition, that was crazy. Who wanted Prohibition? Right. Carrie. Well, Carrie did. Carrie did. Well, and I kind of think that's part of why I like doing this podcast and researching for the episodes. Because we just kind of, you know, learn facts and we just kind of take them as fa- at face value. Especially mm-hmm. when we're learning them in school. And, you know, our teachers don't have time to delve into, into all the details. Yeah. Right. But it's interesting to see these people that are not as well known or these, you know, mm-hmm. events. Influencers. Yeah, that actually influenced the America that we know today. Yeah. So. Anyways, check yeah. it out. It's the timeline on AmericaTheBazaar.com. Works on mobile and on your PC or Mac. Yes. Check it out. Check it out. So this week, you actually know at least the main topic of what this episode is going to be about. John Cause, Coulter? Yeah, because I kind of yes. spilled spilled the details. Yes. Uh, so we're talking about, for those of you who don't know who John Coulter is, he is considered America's first mountain man. The pioneer mountain man. Yes. So we don't know much about John Coulter's early life. But we do know that in 1803, he was in his late 20s, and he saw an advertisement that was looking for good hunters, stout, healthy, unmarried men, accustomed to the woods, and capable of bearing bodily fatigue in a pretty considerable degree for an expedition into the West. I fit most of those today. 
Do you? Except for that I'm married. Yeah, you are married. Wait, did Sorry. it say good mark? Did it say good marksman? No. Well, ah. it said good hunters. So yeah, probably. Yeah. Especially because guns sucked back then. Yeah. I wonder what the definition of good hunter is. You can kill something every once in a while. I still might pass. Yeah. <laughs> So, John responded to the ad and was hired by Captain Meriwether Lewis, along with eight other men from Kentucky, as a private earning $5 a month. As a private? Yes. Private what? (laughs) A private. (laughs) President Thomas Jefferson had just finalized the Louisiana Purchase with France. So, wait. Clarification. Okay. Was Meriwether Lewis hiring people to basically conscript into an... He was a special team. He was hiring people for the Corps of Discovery. Right, which that must have been like a, some sort of special little service, right? Yeah, is his yeah specialized unit. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, that makes sense. Private, like, yeah. private. I mean, he doesn't have any previous military it's experience. Not like he just forgot private investigator or private woodsman. No, like a private in the army. <laughs> So, Jefferson had tasked Meriwether Lewis and William Clark with exploring and mapping the new land while also studying the area's flora and fauna and establishing trade with the local Native American tribes. The group, known as the Corps of Discovery, began to gather members and supplies at Camp Dubois near Wood River, Illinois, before they started their journey. In February 1804, Meriwether Lewis was away from the camp while attending ceremonies in St. Louis. So John and three other Corps members defied Sergeant Ordway's orders and visited a local grog shop and then came back to camp drunk. They're like, <laughs> eh, the captain's out of town. Like, no rules. Yeah. When Lewis came back and heard about his men getting drunk, he punished the four men by not letting them leave the camp for ten days. Wow. So I feel like that's a pretty mild punishment. You say that until you realize what there is to do for ten days. Sure. Which is not a lot. Yeah. You're sharpening shovels at that point. So that's Coulter's the first time that we know of him getting in trouble. The second time was soon after that when Coulter was court-martialed after threatening to shoot Sergeant Ordway. I don't know why, (laughs) but Sergeant Ordway was probably trying to boss him around again. Or be a Which, because he's his sergeant. Or being a snitch. Or that, and so (laughs) Coulter threatened to shoot him. I don't know if he was drunk or not. Yeah. But Coulter apologized and asked for forgiveness, so he was welcomed back into the Corps. Nice. So he's fine. In May 1804, the Corps of Discovery left Camp Dubois and made their way westward. John was considered one of the best hunters for the Corps. Coulter quickly became one of the main hunters and would often take off by himself and then return with meat for the group. Coulter was also very handy in finding passes through the Rocky Mountains, and bartering with the various tribes they met along the way. In 1805, Coulter was hunting... It sounds like he did most of the work. No, it really does. Like, and there was some guy that got lost, and so he was sent out by himself to go find him, and he was... Just one man... He was doing, like, most of the hunting, most of the bartering. Like, he was... Sounds like the guide. Yeah. Like, without actually... He hasn't actually... He's never been in this area before. I don't think he'd really ever left Kentucky before... Lewis had hired him. That his navigation skills and his woodsman skills. Were just he just like, this looks like this could make it way through the mountains. On point. Yeah, he was just born with this intuition. Yeah. Which was really cool. Yeah. Cold, in 1805, Coulter was hunting alone when three Nez Perce hunters approached him. 
Coulter said of the encounter, They were alarmed and prepared for battle with their bows and arrows. I relieved their fears by laying down my gun and advancing towards them. Coulter invited them to accompany him to the Corps of Discovery's camp. When they arrived at the camp, Old Toby, who was the expedition's Shoshone guide, spoke to them using signs while Lewis and Clark fed them boiled venison and presented them with presents. The Nez Perce stayed for dinner but left peacefully shortly after. Probably because they were offered boiled venison. Sounds awful. You couldn't, like, put it on a stick and roast it over the fire? You had to boil it? Yeah. Boiled meat? Mm. But that's the story. Just basically, he's he knows how to deal with tribes, even Mm. if he can't communicate with them. He's a hardy mountain man. When the Corps reached the mouth of the Columbia River, Coulter was among a small group that was selected to explore the shores of the Pacific Ocean and venture up the seacoast into present-day Washington State. The Corps turned around at the Pacific Ocean and started to make their way back to civilization. Because originally there was supposed to be ship, a, a ship or ships waiting for them there on the coast to take them back so they didn't have to, you know... Wow walk back, ride on horses back to St. Louis, and the ships were never there. They, like, missed each other, so... I wonder why. Yeah. Was there actual ships there, though? I think... I'm... See, I'm caught off guard, because I probably should have looked this up, but I want to say the ships were there, and then the core was late, and Ah. so the ships had taken off. So, I think they literally missed each other. Yeah. So, let's see. So the Corps turned around at the Pacific Ocean and started to make their way back to civilization. In 1806, the Corps returned to the Mandan villages in what is now North Dakota. While they were there, Coulter met a couple of hunters named Forrest Hancock and Joseph Dixon that were going back up the Missouri River to go hunting and trapping. They convinced Coulter that he should come with them, so Coulter asked Lewis and Clark's permission to leave the Corps. Lewis and Clark agreed to an early discharge from the Corps as long as no one else from the Corps wanted to leave as well. They're like, we'll let you leave as long as nobody else wants to leave. Yeah. Everyone agreed that nobody else would leave, and Coulter was officially discharged and left with the trappers. Huh. I feel like this is a mistake. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah. I think he was like, you know what, I'm not ready to go back to civilization. I've kind of found my place in the world. I see that, but I feel like discharging him was... Was a mistake? Yeah. Maybe. I think was... No? Not foreshadowing? I'm usually really good at detecting foreshadowing. <laughs> I think what really sucked for... See episodes 1 through 20. <laughs> I think what really sucked for Coulter was that he didn't get paid for his time with the Corps. Because they weren't getting paid until after they got back. So he still had no money. So he didn't have any money. Still. Still. When he got discharged. Right. Yikes. Yeah. Oh, that's a bold move, Cotton. Yeah. So, Coulter, Hancock, and Dixon left the Mandan village with 20 beaver traps, a two-year supply of ammunition, Mm. and other tools like knives, hatchets, rope, etc. Oh, he took it. He took it on barter. Yeah, probably barter, and the other guys were like, you know what, you sound like a high-speed dude. Like, you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. We'll, We'll lend you some stuff, too. Yeah. Pull your own weight. Yeah. Because there was a lot of tension between white people and the Blackfeet tribe that inhabited the lower Missouri, the trio decided to try their luck in the Yellowstone Valley, where the local Crow tribe was much friendlier. No one really knows why, but Coulter, Hancock, and Dixon only trapped together for about two months before going their separate ways. 
And this is where we kind of don't know what Coulter was probably up their, to. Probably their introvertedness, huh? Maybe Just or them to be more. I mean, he didn't really solitary. or he didn't really know these guys before. Yeah, <laughs> taken off with them, so maybe just then he learned all personal dark differences in that two months and maybe. <laughs> so we kind of lose track of him, but in 1807, Coulter started to make his way back to civilization, perhaps in need of more supplies. While paddling down the Missouri River to the mouth of the Platte River, he ran into a group of keelboats owned by the Missouri Fur Company of St. Louis. The company was being led by a man named Manuel Lisa. Lisa quickly saw how valuable Coulter could be to the company and recruited him to guide them to the mouth of the Bighorn River. Once they arrived, Coulter helped the company build Fort Raymond that would serve as a base and trading post for the trapping company. In the winter of 1807 to 1808, Lisa gave Coulter the job of locating bands of Crow Indians and informing them of the new trading post. Coulter took off alone with only his rifle and pack and covered around 500 miles. In the winter? In the winter. Yikes. Along the way, Coulter recruited Indian guides to help him make his way across the Wind River Mountains, the Tetons, and explore what is now known as Jackson's Hole and Yellowstone Lake which made Coulter the first white man to ever be in the Yellowstone region. Hmm. When he arrived back at Fort Raymond in the spring of 1808, he told the other trappers all about the geysers and hot springs that he had seen. Most were skeptical about Coulter's account, but they nicknamed the Yellowstone area Coulter's Hell. (laughs) He was like, water's hot, there's geysers, it's crazy. Yeah, snow everywhere, but it's steaming and boiling hot. Yeah, yeah. So for a long time... I wonder if you ever tried to get into any of those pools. Maybe. Or if he just like dead animals in the pools. I mean... Like boiled alive. I mean, maybe he was like, ooh, nope, that's hot. I'll look for another one that's a little cooler. In the summer of 1808, another member of Lewis and Clark's Corps of Discovery named John Potts arrived at Fort Raymond. Coulter and Potts teamed up and decided to go beaver trapping in the region near Three Forks, Montana. They each took their own canoe, and while paddling down the Jefferson River, a war party of around 800 Blackfeet Indians suddenly appeared on the riverbank. Coulter quickly threw his beaver traps over the side of the canoe into the river. Coulter figured that the Indians wanted to rob rob him, and since the water was shallow here, he hoped that he could come back for his traps later. The chiefs of the war party ordered the men to come ashore, and since there was no way he could fight his way out or escape, he obeyed. It's like, there's 800 Blackfeet warriors. I can't fight. I'm not going to make it out alive. Mm -hmm. He's like, I already dumped my beaver traps. Like, what else are they going to take from me? Uh Once Coulter reached the shore, Coulter was seized, disarmed, and stripped completely naked. Potts was still in his canoe watching this all go down. Coulter called out to him to come ashore. Potts refused, saying he would rather die than be robbed and stripped naked. A Blackfoot then shot Potts in the hip. Potts dropped down in his canoe and came back up with his rifle in his hands. Coulter asked Potts if he was hurt, and Potts said, Yes, too much hurt to escape. If you can get away, do so. I will kill at least one of them. Then Potts aimed his gun and shot a Blackfoot, killing him instantly. As soon as he shot the Blackfoot, hundreds of bullets rained down on Potts. So, he's he's dead now in his canoe. Potts is. Yeah. I mean, it sounded really cool, but... 
No, it didn't. Well, I'm just thinking, like, he gets shot, he goes, he lays down his canoe, and he comes up with a gun, and he just, like, guns a-blazing. But it didn't last for very long. It wasn't guns a-blazing, it was one shot. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. And he killed an Indian who may or may not have killed them. I'm just saying, the... You know, the moral of the story so far John is... Get, in, get to it. The, the get moral of the story is, like, just because it looks cool or sounds cool doesn't mean it's the best way to go. Right. <laughs> so, doesn't that sound like something your dad would do oh, from a canoe? Yeah. Yeah. For like, sure. Doesn't matter who was on the shore. Someone would just be like... They're not going to get me naked. Yeah. I'm going to shoot my way out. Yeah. yeah. Even though literally the odds are not in his favor. Yeah. In any way. For sure. So, as soon as the shooting was over, the Blackfoot warriors rushed into the river and pulled a canoe containing a dead Potts onto the shore. They dragged Potts' body out of the canoe and then used their hatchets and knives to dismember him. They pulled out Potts' entrails, heart, lungs, you know, all of the guts. And then, like, as soon as they'd pull him out, they'd throw him into Coulter's face. Hmm. Remember, he's just still, like, naked, being held there. Yeah. Yeah. A relative of the Indian that Potts had killed ran at Coulter with a tomahawk in his hand, but he was held back from killing Coulter by others. Coulter watched his friend be completely torn apart, all while expecting to be killed at any moment. The Blackfeet quickly called a council to to determine Coulter's fate. The council agreed to have fun with Coulter's death. A chief pointed to the open prairie and motioned his hand back and forth, basically saying, Run that way. Coulter figured that they intended to shoot him while he was running across the prairie. Coulter started to walk. An older Blackfoot started yelling at him and signing at him to go faster, but Coulter figured that if he was going to die anyways, he would rather walk than run. And he's like, by the way, still completely naked at this point. Yeah. When Coulter got about 80 to 100 yards away from the war party, he was kind of wondering why he hadn't been killed yet. So... He looks back, and he saw some of the younger Blackfeet warriors throwing off their blankets and leggings and warming up like they were getting ready for a race. Coulter knew that instead of getting shot, he was going to be ran down and killed by whichever warrior caught him first. So Coulter then takes off running as fast as he can, because he's like, okay, maybe I have a shot. So almost immediately after he starts running, he heard a war whoop behind him. He looked back and saw a large group of warriors with spears running after him. Coulter ran as fast as he possibly could. He saw the Madison Fork about five miles in front of him and figured if he could just make it to the river, he would have a chance to escape. When he got about halfway to the river, he felt his body start to give out and his nose, he said, just started to gush blood. Like with every step he took. His blood was spurting out of his noise nose, yeah. Oof. So yeah. So he stops and looks back. Coulter saw that he had that he had way outrun all of the warriors except for one that was quickly gaining on him with a spear in his right hand and a blanket in his left hand. Coulter yelled at the <laughs> It was cold. I don't think that's why. <laughs> but okay. Coulter yelled at the warrior and crow to save his life. Like, you know, don't don't come at me. Save yourself. And the warrior's like, okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm the one with the, the spear in my hand. Yeah, I have the upper hand here. The warrior didn't, so the warrior doesn't stop, but he drops his blanket so he could grab his spear with both hands. He rushed at Coulter and made a lunge with the spear to try to stab him. Coulter grabbed the spear near the spearhead with his right hand and broke off the blade. 
the warrior fell to the ground after losing his balance. Now that he was unarmed, the warrior started to beg for his life in the crow language, but apparently Coulter wasn't really in the mood to give mercy and stabbed the warrior. Mm. Coulter removed the spear blade from the dying Blackfoot and grabbed the warrior's blanket. The other Blackfeet were now closing in on him, so Coulter took off running again towards the Madison River. So now he at least has a spearhead and a blanket. Mm -hmm. He makes it to the bank of the river, and he saw a beaver den close by. Coulter dove under the water and came back up in the beaver den. Nice. So apparently this was a huge beaver den, and he said it had two levels, and he was able to like crawl up to the top level mm-hmm. of the beaver den. And he, uh, so he laid there and tried to rest and hide. He could hear the Blackfeet searching for him, all while worrying that they would break the den open or set it on fire. Coulter stayed there until nightfall, and until he couldn't hear the warriors looking for him anymore. Coulter swam out of the beaver den and down the river. Coulter could see the narrow mountain pass that was the only way in and out of the valley, but he figured that the Blackfeet would surely be guarding it. So they're like, you know, it's the only way in or out. He's probably going to come this way. That's what he figured. So Coulter continued to swim down the river for another five miles and then got out where he then proceeded to climb up an extremely tall, steep mountain that was covered in snow. Naked. Like, like basically like a sheer cliff. Naked. Well, he has a wet blanket and a spearhead, too. He still has the blanket? Yeah, he still has the wet blanket. But it's like he's been swimming for... Miles, yeah. it's yeah. soaked. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So Coulter climbs up, climbs four miles up this mountain using only rocks, shrubs, and tree branches to hang on to. I'm sure just getting scratched and and it's dark and yeah, ticks. Yeah. <laughs> Once ticks uh, on ticks on ticks. Once Coulter reaches the top of the mountain, it was nearly morning, so he laid low and rested for the rest of the day. Once it was night again, he made his way down the mountain and got to the bottom around dawn. Once he reached the bottom of the mountain, he started to make his way through the open plains towards Fort Raymond, which was about 300 miles northeast of his current location. 300 miles? So it's still quite a walk. And he's still naked. (laughs) In the winter. I'm just going to keep saying that. I think it's like fall. Or spring. Or spring. Because like, you already went 500 miles in the winter time. Yeah, so I don't think it's winter, but it's one of those times where there's snow on the mountains. Well, it's straight through. Yeah. Well, so is it spring or fall? I don't know. I don't know. You couldn't find out? Mm-mm. It just gave me a year. Yeah. So, yeah, so he still has, after all of that, he still has to walk 300 miles. Yeah. Coulter walked. I could walk 300 miles and I could walk 300 miles. He probably sang that song over and over <laughs> to himself to just keep going. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awful <laughs> if that song was stuck in your head while you had to go for 300 miles? Wouldn't, wouldn't bother me. <laughs> like, ah, I'll, I'll, I just want to think of another song. <laughs> a lesser man, it would. <laughs> so, Coulter... I would just what? bust out randomly. Da, da, da. <laughs> Except Indians are still looking for you. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Worth it. It's the only way, only way I can keep my spirits up. Yeah. They're like, I can hear the white man. What if that's like how they caught him? They're like... He's Did they com- catch him? No. 
stop trying to. No, yeah. but anyways, I was thinking if there he's like stop hiding, to what? he's <laughs> guess. <laughs> but I'm just thinking of while he's hiding in the beaver den, they're like, oh, we can't find him. And they're mm-hmm. like, I would walk three, <laughs> and they just start singing it. And all of a sudden, he's he like, goes, da, da. dang it, I can't help it. <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel like that's a the thing though. Well, or it should be a thing. Mm-hmm. So. Coulter walked through the days and nights. He would only stop to rest when his body literally couldn't keep moving anymore. Mm-hmm. I think he would drop and be like, all right, guess it's time to sleep for a little bit. Mm-hmm. He would. He ate roots and tree bark for sustenance. I was going to say, probably some, some veggies. Yeah. High veggie diet. Yes. After 11 days of walking, he finally reached Fort Raymond with nothing but the blanket and spearhead. He was so emaciated and beat up that no one at the fort recognized him until he told them who he was. Jeez. That winter, after he had... So I guess... I think this was fall. So... Because it's now winter. Mm-hmm. So that winter, after he had rested and recovered from his harrowing escape, Coulter decided that he would go back to that exact spot where he dropped his beaver traps into the Jefferson River so he could get them back. So, you know, they're expensive. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of equipment. Coulter figured that the Blackfeet would be staying in their winter quarters weathering the winter storms, so he shouldn't have to worry about them. So, after making his way through the mountain pass into the valley, Coulter... (laughs) Dun-dun-dun. This is foreshadowing. (laughs) Yeah. So, after making his way through the mountain pass into the valley, Coulter made camp on the bank of the river. He started a fire so he could cook his dinner when he heard the sound of leaves and branches breaking behind him. Uh Uh-oh. He looked into the darkness, but he couldn't see anything, when suddenly, bullets started whizzing by him. Just, pew, pew, pew. Coulter took off and once again started climbing up that super steep mountain because he figured if there was Indians, they would be guarding the pass again. So he climbed up the same exact mountain that he had before, making it to the top, resting it throughout the day, and made his way back down the next night and started his journey back to the fort, back to Fort Raymond on foot again. 300 miles. Another 300 miles. At least he has, <laughs> <laughs> At least he has clothes this time. Yeah. And presumably other things. Yeah. Maybe a flint and steel. Maybe. I don't know what he grabbed on his mm. making, like running away from his so camp. So kept patrols out then. Apparently. They knew he'd be back if yeah. he survived. Yeah. So when Coulter got back to the fort, Coulter said, If God will only forgive me this time and let me off, I will leave the country day after tomorrow and be dead if I ever come into it again. He then left with another man named William Bryan for Philadelphia. On their way to Philadelphia, they were attacked by the Blackfeet, but they were able to escape and hide in a thicket. They finally made their way safely to St. Louis, so they're first off on their way to Philadelphia. Then they got attacked, and I think they just rerouted to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So they finally make it to St. Louis, where Coulter settled down, married a woman named Sally, and purchased a farm near New Haven, Missouri. He kept his word. He never went back. He was done being a mountain man. <laughs> Those two long 300, like, doing, walking 300 miles twice on foot, like, did him in. Yeah, I'll say. So the Blackfeet, that's, uh, is that any, that's Great Plains of Montana, Alberta, Canada, because there's Blackfoot, Idaho. 
Right? No, I think this is Montana area uh, where they were northeast. at. Yeah, northern Montana. Yeah. And then again, you know, Indians didn't have traditional, they didn't have maps and, like, states and... What, like, boundary lines yeah. that kept them in? No. They weren't like, oh, <laughs> this is Blackfoot. They had areas. Yeah. Yeah. They had, they had moccasins. General areas. They had moccasins tied together, thrown over pine boughs. What? Is that something you just made up? You know, like tennis shoes tied together. Okay. Thrown over power lines to oh. delineate gang. Is that what that's supposed to be? You didn't I didn't know. know no, I didn't know that's why people. Yeah. Marking gang lands. I didn't know that that's what tennis shoes over power lines were. That's my understanding of it after uh, watching History's channel. Like Gangland? Yeah, or something like that. Nice. I probably learned it. You learned something. Or maybe I made it up. Maybe you made it up. Who knows? <laughs> and somebody knows. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't think the tribes did that. What? But <laughs> tied their moccasins together and hung them over trees to Yeah, obviously. <laughs> that was being facetious. Okay, just being sure. <laughs> but anyways, Coulter Vows to never go back into Indian territory again, and he keeps his word. In 1810, Coulter met up with William Clark and told Clark of all that he had seen while exploring the Yellowstone area. William Clark used... Boy, Clark, Clark, let me tell you what I went through. Oh, my God. (laughs) So remember, you released me. I still haven't been paid. Yeah. (laughs) And this is the shenanigans I got up to. Yeah. So, because, I mean, if you think about it, the core goes from St. Louis to the West Coast once, and then they go back, and they, they you know, split up sometimes, they try to take different routes, but there's still a lot of country that they're not covering, and they're trying to make a map Tons. of, like, this, you know, all of this new land, right? Tons. So at least Coulter, you know, goes, meets up with Clark and tells him of all of the land that he's seen, and try- and so Clark uses this information to start putting a map together of the Yellowstone area. Mm-hmm. So Wyoming, you know, mostly. Mm-hmm. So William Clark used Coulter's descriptions to draw a map of the area that was then published in eighteen in the 1814 editions of his journals. That map, even though it was filled with inaccuracies, was the most comprehensive map of the area for the next 75 years. Wow. It's still a rough area to get into. Yeah. When, Very rough. Yeah. When the War of 1812 broke out, Daniel Boone's son Nathan, so Nathan Boone, created a frontier police force named the Mounted Rangers that was made up of frontiersmen that would patrol the frontier and build blockhouses for defense. John Coulter signed on with Nathan Boone's Rangers and unfortunately died during the war, but not in combat. He contracted jaundice and died on May 7, 1812. His remains were shipped back to his wife Sally and she buried him on a bluff near New Haven, Missouri, that overlooks the Missouri River. Not kidding. New Haven? Yeah. In 1931, William Beard and his son were clearing timber on their farm near Tetonia, Idaho, which is on the Idaho-Wyoming border. They dug up a stone hand-carved roughly into the shape of a human head with the inscription, John Coulter, 1808. In 1933, Beard traded the stone to his neighbor, Aubrey Lyon, for a pair of riding boots. Aubrey Lyon then gave it to Grand Teton National Park officials, and it is now exhibited at the Moose Visitor Center at Grand Teton National Park. We should get a Grand Teton. (laughs) I would love to. But so this 
big stone that yeah. somebody had carved into a skull. Yeah, had his name on it in 1808. There's some people think that it's faked and some people that don't. But also in the 1930s, people didn't really know about John Coulter. Yeah. So that's one reason why people think it's real. Yeah. Like that he actually left it because like nobody really knew who it was. So it wouldn't make sense. And that he didn't try to like bring it forward when he found it. He literally traded it for a pair of riding boots. Right. So apparently John Coulter was in his spare time while he was bored was just chiseling stones. So there might be more stones like in the Yellowstone area with his, with his name on it. And his Who likeness. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I don't know why he was doing skulls. He was into weird, some weird arts and crafts. Sugar skulls. Sugar skulls? Like in Mexico? Yeah. I probably kind of like that. Maybe he Maybe. had some like Spanish influence and like somewhere along his ways like discovered that and was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm just going to think that he was just alone and weird. <laughs> He hadn't talked to people in a while. Yeah. <laughs> he just was really doing some weird self-exploration <laughs> with his art. <laughs> Hello, John. How maybe, are you? Yeah, maybe he was doing some Shakespeare stuff. I don't know. But that's the story of John Coulter. Super the, cool. The first mountain man. Yeah. So my sources are Undaunted Courage, Meriwether Lewis, Thomas Jefferson, and the Opening of the American West by Stephen E. Ambrose. Private John Coulter on PBS.org. Why John... Is that a movie? Show? N- no, it's just an article. Nah. I love PBS, so... Me too. Frontline? I know. Frontline? Frontline. I love, I love American Experience. Yeah. PBS, this is your free plug. Yeah. <laughs> Public broadcast. Sh- shout out. Shout out. Yeah, shout Brought out to, to our local... By viewers like me. <laughs> Why John Coulter may be the most badass mountain man of the American West by Wyatt Red. John Coulter, His Years in the Rockies by Burton Harris. Three Years Among the Indians and Mexicans by Thomas James. Ah, Mexicans. I don't, Spanish well, influence. But I, the story, it was just, it wasn't just about him. It was just about a bunch of people. This was like a guy that was alive around the time of John Coulter. Yeah. And, but still, you know, spheres of influence. He knows people that were hanging out with people from Mexico. Okay. Spanish influence. I still think it was just a weird thing. Right. <laughs> but we can agree to disagree. Skull candies. <laughs> Sugar skulls. Sugar skulls. John Coulter, Fearless Mountain Man by Kathy Weezer Alexander. Mm-hmm. If you like this podcast... Wait, wait. What? We're not going to talk about the answer to the presidential oh, question. Oh, good call. Sorry, I was just jumping towards the end. Yeah. So do you have any guesses? I no none. All right, it is. A, can you? Oh, can you remind us the question? Yes. So the question was, which U.S. president was almost a member of the Donner Party? Oh, and it was Abraham Lincoln. What? Apparently, he was friends with one of the other main families that was part of the party, the uh, Reed, and this guy was trying really hard. Uh, to convince Abraham Lincoln to go. Abraham Lincoln was his lawyer when the guy was going through bankruptcy. They'd become friends. And so Abraham was like, yeah, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. We're going to go out west. And then his wife, Mary Todd, was like, I am pregnant. We are not getting in a wagon and and moving from Illinois to California. 
And they also had a toddler at the time. So Mary Todd put her foot down, <laughs> and they stayed in Illinois. A bunch of people in the Donner Party ate each other, and Abraham Lincoln became president. Good for him. Good for Mary Todd. <laughs> her. Yes. I meant for him. I mean, good for him. To have a woman like that. Yeah. And to listen. I mean, you know, unfortunately (laughs) he died by getting assassinated, but he could have died way earlier by being, you know, dying in a mountain pass and then his body being eaten and we would have never even heard about him ever, except for in that context. Yeah. So. Who's the guy on the wagon with the tall hat? This this really (laughs) crazy tall dude. (laughs) Good eating. (laughs) Probably not, though. Too lean. Too lean and stringy. (laughs) But anyways, yes. So let us know if you got that right, if you thought, if you liked the question, if you have ideas for a question. We don't care if you like the question or not. I I care. Well, it was a good question. (laughs) If you like this podcast, please tell your friends to listen. That's how we grow mostly, by you telling other people to listen. Word of mouth. Yes. Marketing strategy. You could also leave us a review, rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want some sweet merch or to look at the timeline that Jeremy was talking about earlier, go to AmericaTheBazaar.com. That's A M E R I C A T H E B I Z A. R-R-E dot com. Good job. One Z, two R's. Yep, exactly. And am I forgetting anything else? A little end of the episode spiel? I don't know why you're looking at me. This is your show. (laughs) I'm just living in it. So I guess not. So until next time, stay stay weird, weird, America. America.